I don't think anybody wants a default at this point. It'd be catastrophic for not only the U.S. equity market, but also just global markets in general. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As second quarter earnings results trickle in, two Canadian banks fell short on analysts' expectations. On today's episode, Portfolio Managers Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and your host Mackenzie Box examine the market's initial reaction. They also discuss higher loan loss provisions, gold prices, factor-based ETFs, the U.S. debt ceiling deadline, and investing in China. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights podcast and our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in and provide comments and questions each and every week. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, and product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I'm joined by Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thank you both, Alfred and Chris, for joining me today. Thanks, Mackenzie. All right, let's dive in. So gold prices have made a significant run this year, and we've highlighted gold and gold equities as something to watch in our ETF economic forum back in January, and we recently put out a trade idea on gold. Alfred, can you highlight what the expectations for gold and gold equity ETFs like our BMO Equal Weight Global Gold Index ETF, ZGD, and our Junior Gold, BMO Junior Gold Index ETF, ZJG, especially as gold bullion prices have retreated from that key 2050 per ounce level? Yeah, for sure. Pretty interesting year for gold so far. Gold seeing some pretty meaningful gains so far this year. So just looking at spot gold prices, that's up about 8.4% year to date in US dollar terms. ZGD, which is our equal weight global gold ETF, that's up 15.7%. That's in uh, Canadian dollar terms. And our junior gold ETF, that's up 14% year to date. Again, that's in uh, Canadian dollar terms. But we did mention gold at our BMO ETF economic forum back in January. We put gold on watch at the time just because when we're looking at inflation in the U.S. compared to other jurisdictions, so things like Europe, U.K., and Japan, you know, we thought the Fed was much further ahead in terms of reining in inflation compared to those other, other jurisdictions. So we anticipated that you know, the Fed would probably be closer to you know, reaching that quote-unquote terminal value compared to those other central banks. So as a result of that, they would likely be closer to taking a pause compared to those other central banks. So, so far year to date, you know, our thought was that the interest rate differential was going to lead to a weaker U.S. dollar. We haven't really seen that pause from the Fed. Uh, there's a lot of talks that they potentially may, may pause in the upcoming meeting in, in June. But, you know, overall, when you look at the velocity or the rate at which they've been increasing rates, the Fed has definitely dialed back their pace of, of increasing rates Um, So far, year to date. So, you know, as a Canadian investor, when you look at the US dollar, you haven't really seen the weakness just because the Canadian dollar has been just as weak. Just because when you look at the Bank of Canada, uh, we paused on interest rates uh, a couple of months ago. So, as a result of that, um, you know, the 
the Canadian dollar is also weakened as well. So when we look at the U.S. dollar index, which is a trade-weighted basket versus um, six other currencies, the U.S. dollar index is down 9.5% since September 2022, which was the peak. So as a result of that, you know, gold has been running up uh, year to date. One of the major headwinds last year was a stronger U.S. dollar. But as the U.S. dollar has come off, gold prices have you know, started to run up against that technical resistance level, as you mentioned, which is roughly around that 2050 uh, per ounce level. I think as we progress through the, through the year, uh, right now, when you look at interest rate expectations, uh, the market is still pricing in rate cuts um, from the Fed later this year. I don't think we're necessarily going to see those rate cuts. So I think the market right now it's starting to price in that the likelihood is that we're not going to get rate cuts this year. So as a result of that, you know, that's why gold prices have started to retreat from that 2050 level in addition to the, that technical resistance. But over the long term, I think there are a lot of long term reasons in which uh, investors may want to be a little bit more bullish of gold or, or at least, you know, hold some in their portfolios. Uh, we do highlight a lot of those ideas in our in our recent trade idea. Uh, so just to quickly recap, some of those reasons are, you know, the U.S. debt ceiling, for example, which, you know, we think probably will get lifted or, you know, we probably will get a, a resolution. But it does highlight a lot of the polarization that we see in U.S. politics right now and the potential, you know, political jockeying that we're going to see as we head closer to the 2024 uh, presidential elections. Uh, in addition to that, we also have the U.S. The US banking crisis as well. If we do see any further insolvencies, the potential you know, resolution is that uh, we may see uh, interest rates come down or at least ease a little bit. In addition to that, we potentially may see the Fed expand its balance sheet, as we saw with the uh, bank term funding program as well. So that should be supportive of gold as well. Uh, we talked about U.S. de-dollarization a couple of podcasts ago, I think, uh, about a month ago. Um, you know, Overall, we don't think de-dollarization especially in the near term or even over the next decade is possible, given that, you know, when you look at the entire global network, it's built around the U.S. dollar as reserve currency. So the U.S. dollar losing its reserve currency status in the immediate future is very unlikely, if not impossible. But, you know, there's increasing talks about, you know, countries wanting to move away from it. Um, so that should be supportive of gold overall. Uh, in addition to that, we've also seen a, a ton of central bank buying uh, Turkey, China, and Egypt have bought over 200 tons in 2022 to add as, as part of their reserves. Uh, so far in 2023, uh, China and Turkey continue to, to add gold. Uh, Singapore has also been buying a lot of gold as well. So, so far year to date, not even June yet, but those three countries have already bought 160 tons of gold bullion to add to their reserves. Not to mention, you know, geopolitical risk is on the rise. Inflation potentially may creep up again as well. So um, as a result of that, I think all of that should be supportive of gold. I think in the near term, we potentially get a little bit of a pullback. But I think all of those reasons over the long term should be supportive of gold. So overall, I think you know gold, when you look at it, uh, it is a good diversifier. Um, I don't think you need a lot in the portfolio. So I think even a 5% allocation of gold potentially will go a long way. But even looking at gold equities... I think that's a good way to play the rally in gold prices or the long-term potential tailwinds in gold prices. The reason to put something uh, gold equities on the radar 
one thing to note about gold equities right now is that when you look at the futures curve in gold, it's in what we call contango, which is upward sloping. Usually that's good for gold uh, equities just because, you know, if you think of it as a gold company, if you're extracting gold prices at spot prices and then selling it in the future at a higher price, that usually is supportive of gold equity. So overall, um, you know, those are some reasons which we believe uh, should be supportive of gold prices. But definitely do check that out in the trade idea. If you haven't seen it, reach out to your ETF specialist to get a hold of that trade idea. Great. Thanks, Alfred. Amid high interest rates and market volatility, consider BMO's top three ETFs yielding over 6%. The BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. And the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, features solid historical dividend growth. Something that's very topical right now is Canadian banks' uh, earning reporting season, and we've seen some results come in this week. What do we see so far, and how do investors play this space going forward? Uh, Chris, maybe you can also speak to our ETF, BMO Equal Weight uh, Banks Index ETF, tickers at EB, and how you can maybe play that in this market. Sure. Thanks, Mackenzie. And as you say, uh, at the time of this recording, a, a couple of the banks starting to report uh, this earnings season. So far, we've seen Bank of Montreal and Bank of Nova Scotia release their earnings. So, you know, there could be more to talk about here as uh, we see the other uh, Canadian banks uh, report over the next couple of days. But in terms of what we see, at least from an initial reaction, uh, we can start with Bank of Montreal. This was the, their first earnings report uh, since they closed the deal to buy Bank of the West uh, in the U.S. And so I think a lot of eyes were on this to see how that acquisition was going to affect their numbers. I would say it overall uh, across the two banks that have reported uh, this morning, um, we can call this mixed at best uh, in terms of uh, the results. Uh, Bank of Montreal specifically, we saw some capital markets weakness, which is kind of in line with what we saw out of the U.S. banks um, through their reporting season. Um, that was kind of the soft spot in the U.S. and uh, certainly with BMO as well. Uh, another theme is that expenses were up uh, in general across the board and that the loan and deposit growth was a little bit lower than expected in terms of the contribution coming from Bank of the West. I think there was some expectation that with the regional banking crisis in the U.S., that Bank of the West would be able to pick up a, a decent amount of new deposits there and new clients. And I think there was some, but it just was not as much as expected. And so that element uh, of growth starting to slow there. Initial reaction from the stock market, uh, we see the stock down about 3% or so um, off the back of those earnings. So again, not viewed very favorably from the markets, but certainly not the worst case scenario either. In terms of Bank of Nova Scotia, we saw higher expenses there as well, um, leading to some issues and margins in general being a little bit lower than expected. So these expenses really putting pressure on margins with both of these banks. And then what we saw from Bank of Nova Scotia, and in fact, Bank of Montreal as well, is that we saw some higher loan loss provisions, uh, specifically over $700 million 
from Bank of Nova Scotia and over $1 billion from Bank of Montreal. And so this is the bank setting aside capital to cover loans that they expect could potentially go bad in the future. So these are not loans that have failed already. This is management being prudent and setting aside uh, some capital in order to cover uh, some expected loan losses. And so this is probably a theme you're going to see as we start to enter into this sort of economic slowdown period that central banks are trying to engineer, you know, hopefully not a recession, but certainly in a, a slowdown in economic activity. And so you will see banks um, do the prudent thing and set aside some more money for loan loss provisions. And this will potentially hurt that headline earnings a little bit. Now, one other thing to mention is that both of these banks, despite this challenged earnings environment, uh, both raised their dividend as well. So that um, shows some underlying strength in the operating uh, businesses that, that both of these banks are in. And so um, good to see dividends uh, increasing there uh, as expected. And so just in general, when we look at the banks and look at potentially using ZEB to play this space, one of the headwinds that this sector is going to face going forward, as I mentioned, is that slower economic growth, that slower economic activity that should you know, potentially reduce the loans and mortgages in this higher interest rate environment that, uh, that investors and businesses want to take out with banks. And so potentially a headwind there. However, a tailwind is those higher interest rates. You know, generally, a higher rate environment leads to more potential for these banks to have higher interest rate margins. And so, as I mentioned, uh, specifically with Scotia, having that lower margin than expected, if we continue in this era of higher interest rates, that should help ease itself as there is a bit more room for banks to, to play with that margin in terms of what they uh, earn from lending versus what they uh, pay for deposits. So a couple of things to consider there. And then from a technical basis, ZEB really been trading in this range, a sideways range over the last, um, you know, almost a year since last June, um, you know, back down to the lows of that range. And so on a valuation basis, Canadian banks look very attractive here. Um, and with those dividend increases across the six major banks, ZEB is now yielding around 5% on the dividend yield. And so that's a nice margin of safety for investors that are looking to invest here or are already invested that they're going to be getting a 5% dividend. Of course, that's a tax preferential treatment as well. So a nice cushion against any continued sell-off in share prices. I would say for investors with the long-term focus, with that growth element and not needing any extra income relative to that 5% dividend they've been collecting, um, you know, this is a very attractive entry point. You know, Canadian banks don't generally trade with a 5% dividend yield for too long. And so just from an expectations point of view, certainly there might not be too many tailwinds as we're talking about some headwinds, some tailwinds. So kind of a mixed uh, environment. But again, with that long-term focus, we think a 5% dividend yield and the valuations that the banks are trading at now is a pretty attractive entry point. Thanks, Chris. Next, we'll move over to you, Alfred. After a difficult year in 2022, for both equities and bonds, it looks like risk assets have made a pretty decent comeback despite the Fed not having given up any legitimate cues for softening its monetary tightening. The NASDAQ is up roughly 21%, S&P 500 up around 9%, and the S&P TSX composite roughly around 4.8. And even the BMO aggregate bond index ETF are ticker ZAG, which is the broad Canadian bond market, is up around 2.6%. So are there any catalysts that can keep this rally going? And what is the potential risk on the horizons? 
And how do you position equities using ETFs as we move closer to the second half of the year? That's a good question. I think, uh, you know, we've been doing more and more meetings with advisors and uh, some of our clients just in terms of overall portfolio positioning. And, you know, the overall sentiment is that, um, you know, there's there's uncertainty out there. There's a lot of investors that um, have reasons to be um, optimistic, but there also are cues to be a little bit more uh, cautious at this point as well. So just to quickly recap, just to go over some of the catalyst and what can uh, move the markets higher, both in equities and bonds at this point. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the earnings cycle out of the U.S., especially the last earnings cycle, a lot of the S&P 500 companies, for example, reported very strong earnings with quarter over quarter earnings per shares coming in ahead of expectations. When I look at the uh, valuations of the market, for example, just looking at P ratios as a rough gauge, um, basically in line with their long-term average. So uh, when you look at the prices of the S&P 500 companies, they haven't really moved in lockstep with the increase in earnings. Um, so again, there is a potential for further multiple expansion um, if prices were to move up with earnings. In addition to that, I think the U.S. debt ceiling is probably the most obvious catalyst. So if we do get a resolution, I think that should be supportive of not only the equity market, but also the bond market as well. Last but not least, I think inflation, um, even though we've been talking about inflation for pretty much over the last two years, um, still very much a concern for a lot of investors. So you know, whether you're looking at the CPI as a gauge or the PCE as uh, a gauge for inflation, they continue to trend in the right direction. So if we continue to see inflation continue to come down, especially in the service front, I think that should be a catalyst for uh, risk assets to move higher, um, as that would basically imply that the Fed would have uh, less tightening to do, uh, which should, again, be supportive of equities and bonds. Um, having said all that, I think um, some of the major concern that we are hearing for a lot from a lot of investors at this point, the U.S. debt ceiling, again, being the most obvious one, the expectation is that they probably do find a resolution. But I think, you know, as I, as I alluded to in the last question, I think that is, uh, it does provide a highlight just in terms of, you know, how much political posturing there is, especially coming into the uh, U.S. presidential election cycle. Um, I don't think anybody wants a default at this point. It'd be catastrophic for not only the U.S. Uh, equity market, but also just global markets in general. In addition to that, just when I look at the health of the rally, so just from, you know, from a technical standpoint, investors want to see uh, what we call breadth in the market. So when the market moves higher, when the indexes move higher, they want to see a large amount of companies participating in that rally. Right now, however, or at least over the last couple of months, that rally has been driven by a, a large handful of, you know, mostly uh, technology stocks, a lot of large cap communication stocks in the U.S. So the health of the rally hasn't really, you know, been um, all that great neither. So, you know, as a result of that, I think that's another reason to be a little bit more concerned about, you know, the health of the rally as well. And last but not least, I think the major concern is the inversion of the Treasury curve. And when you see the yield curve invert, that typically is one of the most reliable indicators for a pending recession. So I think, you know, overall, there are some reasons to be concerned. But, you know, the good news on the recession front is that when you do look at the labor market, the labor market continues to be very strong. So the good news is that potentially if we do get a recession, hopefully it will be a little bit more shallow. But having said all that, I think, you know, it is a pretty muddled picture right now. 
we always say that trying to time the market usually is not a good thing, especially if you are a long-term investor. Uh, staying invested usually tends to be the best course of action. But having said that, I think you know repositioning from you know broad market ETFs or taking some of the profits um, and moving into things like factor-based ETFs, I think is a good way to play the market at this point. We've done a lot of research just in terms of factor combinations. A combination that we do like is combining low volatility ETFs. So taking something like ZLU, which is our US low vol ETF, and combining it with the high quality ETF, so ZUQ, typically that has been a pretty good combination. They tend to be very complementary. Uh, both of them tend to be more defensive growth oriented uh, factors in general. But overall, they tend to be very complementary where they do have very complementary sectors. And when you compare the performance over the last 10 years compared to the S&P 500, so taking that combination and comparing it to ZSP, for example, which tracks the S&P 500, uh, typically what you'll find is that the annualized returns over the last 10 years has been a little bit better. Risk has been better as well, which means that the efficiency of that portfolio is better than the S&P 500. Uh, or at least has been over the last 10 years. But the major uh, improvement, in my opinion, is that the drawdown ratio, which is um, you know, downside protection, is much better in that barbell strategy compared to the S&P 500. So I think combining factors like low volatility and quality is a good way for investors to remain invested, but at the same time remain more defensive as um, there's reasons to be a little bit more cautious at this point. Great. Thanks, Alfred. Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's Money Market and Ultra Short-Term Bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to part client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS. And last but not least, Chris, we'll pass this one to you. Can you give us an update on what's the latest from China? Uh, we've seen equity markets start to moderate, and they have now moved to ban some government use of U.S. technology. Is this the beginning of a larger dispute between the two nations? And can you maybe highlight our ETF, uh, ZCH, BMO, MSCI, China, ESG Leaders Index ETF as well? Yeah, certainly we've seen a ramping up of uh, um, some discourse between U.S. and China. Um, as you mentioned, uh, China recently, one of their government administrations told certain domestic companies to stop buying uh, chips from Micron, a, a U.S. Uh, company, and raise concerns uh, of risk to information systems. So, you know, this is any company in China that deals with telecom, energy, transportation, defense, other areas of national interest as well um, are banned from using Micron chips now. Now, this is really the first, I would say, major response we've seen from China uh, with the U.S. doing similar things going the other way. Um, you know, most recently, uh, President Biden announcing export controls um, to limit what chips and what technology we do send to China in order to limit the potential of military modernization there. And of course, a few years ago, the high profile case of the U.S. banning uh, American businesses uh, and governments with dealing with Huawei, particularly over the 5G uh, technology rollout, uh, but also handheld devices and things like that. 
um, you know, over concerns of Huawei being tied to the Chinese government as well as stealing intellectual property. Um, so we've seen this back and forth over the last couple of years now. It's almost, you know, a new Cold War beginning between the two nations. And so this is a political overhang, you know, and Alfred also mentioned political overhang with the debt ceiling that's going to continue and probably continue to ramp up over time. So it makes things a little difficult to see and to forecast. But at the same time, when we look globally at different geographies and what their growth expectations are over the next couple of years, China is probably the major uh, growth engine of the world. Uh, we saw the Q1 GDP print come in at four and a half percent. The broad estimates for 2023 overall GDP growth are somewhere in the range of five, five and a half percent for China and another five percent in 2024. So, you know, certainly slower than what we've seen out of China in the past, you know, last year being an exception. But when you, we compare to what's happening in the rest of the world, that's really a, a high degree of GDP growth and economic activity. Uh, of course, in most of the developed world, central banks trying to engineer a slowdown. Again, not necessarily a recession, but when you look at GDP growth forecasts of 1% or potentially even lower than 1%, it's clear that the economic activity coming out of China is probably going to be leading the world. We've seen recently uh, they removed a lot of their COVID restrictions um, and that COVID zero policy going away. Um, so that's expected to boost economic activity, although we have seen um, some anecdotal reports of, of high amounts of COVID cases spreading throughout that country. And so I think that's what has caused this uh, equity weakness that we've seen over the last couple of weeks or so. Chinese equities actually rallied significantly, and, and Mackenzie mentioned ZCH. Strong rally to start 2023 with Chinese equities up about 8% or so in the first few weeks. And so a nice move to the upside. But over the last, again, couple of weeks or so, we've seen most of that be given back. Still some concerns there. And that again, that reopening from COVID is not going to be a straight line up uh, in terms of economic, economic activity. There will be uh, bumps along the way. But for investors, again, looking for that growth, looking for that economic activity to stay high, you know, China is probably one of the only options. And this is probably for longer term investors as well. With the uh, ramp up of this sort of rhetoric back and forth and these bans on trading technologies, uh, there will be bumps along the way. And again, with COVID reopening, there will be bumps along the way. So it's primarily for longer term investors that can ride that out. We think over the next three to five years, China is going to provide a significant amount of growth for all global equities, again, with a big piece of that coming from China directly. So for growth investors, we think this is a good place to tilt towards. Uh, the multi-asset team here at BMO Global Asset Management is, is very bullish on China and has gone to an overweight there, emerging markets in general, but China specifically as well. And so we think that's just a good place for growth-oriented investors to allocate a piece of their capital to in order to capture that growth that's uh, really not happening in many other places in the world. Great. Thanks, Chris. Those are all the questions that we have for this week. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to our podcast. And a special thank you to both Alfred and Chris for providing some great insights and uh, resources. And with that, I just want to thank everyone and have yourself a great day. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Alfred Lee, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Equal Weight Banks Index ETF, ticker ZEB, which provides prudent exposure to the big six. 
Our experts also discussed Chinese equities, the BMO MSCI China ESG Leaders Equity Index ETF, ticker ZCH, is suited to investors seeking targeted growth solutions. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.